John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts. Boy, I've really been excited studying. The last, uh, the last several weeks I have been studying through the book of Acts. And, um, and I've really enjoyed this book once again. It's, it really is my favorite book in the entire Bible. I guess being a church planner and being a pastor and being involved in missions and planning churches, and uh, you've got to love the book of Acts. What I see in the book of Acts is a testimony to what every church can be. Did you hear what I just said? What I see in the book of Acts is a testimony to what every church can be. And the only way we can be like this New Testament church in the book of Acts is when we get out of the way and we let go of control and we allow the Holy Spirit of God to take over in our lives. I mean to completely take over. And a lot of times the modern church today, we'll, we'll give Christ a little bit of our time. We'll give Him a portion of our life. We may even throw a dollar bill or five or ten in the offering plate and give Him a little bit of our money. But you don't see that in the New Testament church in the book of Acts. You see a body of believers, you see a community of believers that were counter cultural to their culture of that day. And guys, if we're going to be a New Testament church, if we're going to be a church that lives after the principles that we find in the book of Acts, then we must be a counter-cultural church. And I'm going to start unpacking a little bit of that over this next little mini-series leading up to Easter Sunday. But I, it's my heartbeat's desire. I mean, it's, it's deep in me. It's burning within me. That we at Victory Church would not be a church that plays church. That we would be fanatics for Jesus. May I say that again? That we would be fanatics for Jesus. Like some of you are, your ball teams. Myself included. You know I love Duke. But I promise you, I love Jesus a whole lot more than I love Duke. Hello? You know I love watching Duke basketball. But you know, I hope you know, that I love serving Jesus a whole lot more than I do watching Duke basketball. And I hope that's true of all of us. Man, I would love to see us become labeled in the O'Fallon community as fanatics. Those folks are just radical. Those folks are just fanatics. Those folks are just, man, they go against the grain of the culture. Now, when I'm talking about the culture, I'm not talking about the wickedness and sinfulness of the world. I'm talking about the culture of religious institutions. I'm talking about the organized, the dignified, the refined religious group of our day. I'm talking about churches. 
I think we sometimes as pastors and church leaders and even members of churches get far more engrossed in building buildings. We need them. We get far more engrossed in programs and details and budgets. Hello? We get too engrossed in constitution and bylaws and rules and regulations. You know what we need to be focusing on? Having a radical transformation of the heart of the individual that we fall in love with Jesus. And I promise you, if we become fanatics for Jesus, all that other stuff will take care of itself. Hello? That's what I'm hoping will take place over the next year of ministry at Victory Church. If you remember sometime back, back in early fall, the last part of last summer, early of last fall, I started sharing with you and unpacking with you my five-year vision for the ministry aspect of Victory Church. And part of that vision is that we would raise mature, get this, disciples of Christ. I mean men and women that love Jesus more than anything else in life. Men and women that are sold out to live for Him. Now, I'm not talking about just church attendance. Hello? I'm not talking about just come get our Sunday morning fix. Hello? I mean, there's Christians, so-called Christians in churches all across America today that are just getting their Sunday morning fix. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a body of believers that absolutely falls in love with Jesus. And they become radical. And there's a transformation taking place in their life. And they become a countercultural community of believers that goes against the grain of the religious institutions of our day. Guys, I don't want to be just another church on the block. Hello? I don't want our church just to be another church that just takes up space. I think our address is going to be 203 Scott Troy Road once we get there. Hello? And that's a good day coming. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. You've been by the church property lately and see all that dirt being moved. And, and man, I'm so excited about what's taking place there. Hold on a minute. I've got to fix my, my wiring harness right here. got me tied down too tight. But listen, I don't want our church just to be another building on a piece of property that people ride by and say, oh, there's just another church. Man, my, my dream for us is that when people see Victory Church, I want them, the first thing they think of is, number one, those are, those are radical people. Those people love Jesus. They take their faith seriously. Matter of fact, part of our motto, and you'll see it on a lot of our logos and paperwork and different things that go out and literature and promotional thing, Victory Church, casual atmosphere, finish it for me. Serious faith. See, I don't care whether you wear a tie or not. You want to wear a tie, wear a tie. I don't care how you come to church. Just like I told, I told Bradley. I met Bradley in the trailer court across my church property. And I was standing on our church property watching the dozers work and knock down trees. And Bradley came running over from the trailer court. And, what are, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's going on here? What are you? I asked a thousand questions. The senior in high school at O'Fallon. He came to me and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? We're building a church, Bradley. Next question. Can I come? Can I come to your church? Yeah, Bradley, you can come to our church. I get this. 
Bradley doesn't have fancy clothes. Matter of fact, he stood there in a pair of blue jeans that are half-worn and tennis shoes that he told me he found. I found these shoes. How do you like these shoes? I found them. And just a plain shirt. And he asked me this. He said, he said, Pastor, he said, this is about the best I have. Can I come to your church dressed like this? Or do I have to put on a suit and a tie? I said, Bradley, you come just like you are. You're welcome. Amen? I don't care how folks come to church. I don't care if you wear shorts and flip-flops. Hello? But I do care that you hear about Jesus. And I hope and pray that your heart is radically transformed and we become a fanatic for Jesus. Hello? Is that not what it's about? It's not about rules and regulations. I tell you what, I think all the rules and regulations to take care of themselves, if we get people's heart right with Christ, amen? One of the ways that we're going to be doing that here at Victory Church, and there's a couple of things that we're going to be doing in the next, actually we're launching this Easter, and I want you all to know about it. I want everybody to get engaged. I want you all to get plugged in. We are starting small groups, what we're calling IG groups, uh, Easter Sunday. That last week of April, May, June, and July will be our first segment of small groups that we're starting. As a matter of fact, for all of our small group leaders, if you will, if you're going to be leading, hosting a small group, will you stand up? We will have this information printed out for you next week, but if you are a host, I'd like for you to stand up. I know uh, Daryl and Linda are going to host as well. Give these guys and gals a hand. Remain standing. Listen, I want everyone, I believe we have groups on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday evening that are meeting. So that's four nights a week that surely we can get plugged in somewhere to one of these IGN groups. Okay, guys, you can have a seat. Appreciate all you guys that are willing to host and lead uh, a small group. I want us to get connected in, in these small groups. Let me tell you why. Because that's really where community is going to take place. That's really where that accountability is going to take place. That's really where that koinonia, that fellowship is going to take place. That's really where that life change is going to really start taking place. Let me tell you why. Because you can come to church on Sunday morning and you can kind of get lost. Hello? You can slide in, you can sit on a chair, you can listen to the music, listen to the message, and slide out, and whoo, man, nobody's holding me accountable this week. Hello? I don't have to worry about studying, I don't have to worry about praying, I don't have to worry, nobody's going to ask me any tough questions. Man, it's kind of easy. I don't want our church to be easy like that. Man, I want us to be radicals. Hello? I want us to be fanatics about Christ. I want us to be living out our faith. I want our church, when folks drive by our property at 203 Scott Troy Road and they see Victory Church, I want them to say, man, that church, is they are the hands and feet of Jesus. That church is doing something. That church is living it. That church is radical. That church is fanatical. Hello? That may scare you a little bit. Well, honey, I promise you that's where we're going. I'm tired. Listen, I am 40 what? I always forget how old I am. How old am I? 29. 46. I'm 46. I promise you, I always forget how old I am. I remember when I was in my, about 25, people were asking me how old I was. I thought I was 28. And I was telling everybody I was 28. And finally Debbie heard me went, how old are you? I said, I'm 28. You're 25. <laughs> oh, okay. And she said, how many people have you told you're 28? I said, about everybody that asked me. I never think about how old I am. 46, but I do know this. If I live to be 70, what do I have? About 24 more years? 
Help me. I'm looking at our math teacher. 24? Man, I want, I, want to, I, want to, I want to be running wide open for Jesus from now to when I can't run anymore. Hello? I mean, we only have one life to live. And I want to give it all. And in the book of Acts, we're going to begin in chapter 2. We're going to go through chapter 3, 4, 5. We're going to look a little bit in the book of Acts. But we need to define what is countercultural. What is countercultural? I want you to look on the slide, if you will. Countercultural is simply this. It's a culture with lifestyles and values. What's the next word? Opposed to those of the established culture. In other words, we, as a body of believers, as a community of faith, as a church, we are going to be going in the opposite direction of what our culture is going in. You see, when you think about the world and the church, a lot of times you can't really tell the difference in the lifestyles of the two. Well, we're going to hopefully raise up a generation, raise up a people, raise up a community of believers that are counter-cultural to the culture of our day, but also in the area of our churches, as I've already mentioned. We just don't want to be another church on the block, as I've already said. We want to be a counter-cultural ministry that's, I mean, sold out for Christ, that is radically fanatic for the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a little mini-series that I'm going to be preaching on from now. Even I'm going to finish it on Easter Sunday about being a counter-cultural church, a counter-cultural ministry. Guys, you realize something? All through the Word of God, whenever God wants to do something big, it usually begins with a movement which results in a counter-cultural group of people. I mean, if you will think about it, let's go all the way back to the book of Exodus. You remember how the children of Israel were in bondage down in Egypt? And God wanted to call out those that were in bondage. And He led, of course, Moses and Aaron and Hurry led those down there to lead out this group of people that were going contrary to their culture, were they not? I mean, here was a group of people that for years they had been slaves in Egypt. And the norm was just to get up every day and make brick and mortar and be slaves to the pharaohs. That was the norm, that was the culture for the children of Israel. Until God spoke to a man's heart named Moses and convinced him to go down there and lead his people out of Egypt. And of course he was creating and developing a people that he had chosen to become his nation, a people that he had chosen to become like him. And there was a movement that started when the children of Israel left Egypt and headed towards the promised land that he gave them. 2,000 years ago, there was a cultural shift, if you will. Whenever Jesus came, was birthed into this world by a virgin. He lived 33 and a half years, a sinless life. But then he was crucified on the cross. And he was buried. On the third day, he rose again. You know what, the, you know what God was trying to do to the religious leaders of the day? He was trying to get them to go a different direction. And there was a movement that started away from religion and into a personal relationship with a holy God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the the birth, the death, the resurrection, all of that literally changed history. It changed time. It changed an entire culture. 
And of course, out of that came this radical community of believers that we see in the book of Acts. And then in the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, we find another counter-cultural shift, if you will. You remember the disciples? They're now in the upper room. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit descended upon them like tongues of fire that, that landed on each of them. And what boldness they had to come out of there and start preaching the gospel in all these other languages and all these other dialects. And thousands of people were being saved. What took place there? There was a radical movement that took place when these people were endued with power from on high. And it made a difference in their culture. Guys, my dream for our church is that we, as a body of believers, will not just settle for playing church. We'll not just settle for coming to a church service. We'll not just settle for going through the motions. But we will be a community of believers that are willing to go against the grain, against the culture of our day, to be a counter-cultural church. Well, what is a counter-cultural community? We're going to put them on the screen. Two things I want you to see. First of all, we are a people, listen, who are tired. Tired of what? Tired of living the predictable. Hello? Don't you get tired of living the status quo? Don't you get tired of living the predictable? I mean, rather... To be a counter-cultural community, we are a group of people that expect to encounter the miraculous. In other words, we expect God to work a miracle. Maybe that's not you. I'm expecting God to work a miracle. Whenever I submitted an application to borrow $1 million through our church extension loan fund, Right after we had borrowed $350,000 or whatever it was to purchase the property. Now we're at $1.35 million. You know what, guys? That's nothing for our God. Nothing for our God. I was watching The Celebrity Apprentice the other evening. And I saw Big and Rich, the rich guy. I forget what his last name is, Rich. Anybody remember his first name? It's Big and Rich, the, the singer's. And he's the country singer on Celebrity Apprentice. And he had a task to go out and raise X amount of dollars. And he called his buddies from Nashville, Tennessee. And um, Two Foot Fred, or whatever his name was, flew in on a, on a, on a charter jet. And, and, and some of his buddies flew in. And, and then uh, the other lady that was head of her team, she had to raise X amount of dollars. And Donald Trump sitting there in the conference room, the boardroom, he calls them all, all in. He said, guys, we have made, set a record for Apprentice in dollars being raised. And they raised nearly a million dollars, both of them together, in one weekend. And I'm thinking, God, as I sat there and watched that and all the dollars, I mean, they were selling just, I mean, one guy, I think it was Meatloaf or Meathead or whatever his name was, he, he, he got a basketball or a soccer ball and he put paint all over it and he just threw it on a piece of paper and threw it on a mat and, and slung some paint on it and hung it up somewhere and on a wall and said, who will pay me for this? And they were selling those things for five and ten and twenty and thirty and fifty thousand dollars. And I'm thinking, you know what? There's a God out there that's bigger than that. Hello? million is nothing to our God. You see, I am tired of living the predictable. I am tired of just living the status quo as a believer. I don't want our church to be a status quo church. I want us to expect to encounter the miraculous. 
I want us to expect God to show up. I want us to expect God to move. I want us to step on faith, out on faith and be the hands and feet of Jesus and just be radically fanatic for our God and just expecting God to move. You see, I think sometimes we as believers, we play it way too safe. Hello? We as a church, we play it way too safe. Oh, preach, I'm not real sure we can do it. Why? Our God's able. Hello? Why not, why not? We serve a big God. Why not have a big faith? We serve a big God. Why not have a big dream? Why not quit living in the predictable, but start living in the area where we expect God to show up and work a miracle? He's a big God. Amen? He's able. So a countercultural community is a people who's tired of living the predictable. The second thing about a countercultural community is that we are a people who are tired of living the same old life. Rather, we're a people who long for Jesus to set us on fire for God. Let me ask you a question, each and every one of you, and I want you to do some soul searching. Could you say right now that you are on fire for God? Or would you be, be like a little ember that's been pulled away from the fire that's sitting over here and smoldering? And you just do your best to smolder a little bit. Just put out a little smoke. Just a smoldering ember that's just barely hanging on, just close enough to the fire to where you get a little heat from it that you can keep smoldering. God help us. I don't want to be that. I don't. I don't want to be a smoldering Christian. Oh yeah, you'll get to heaven. Pearly gates will hit you right in the tail. Boom, you'll just make it in. I don't want to be that person. Amen. I don't want to be that person. I want to be on fire for God. And you know what it takes? Listen, you know what it takes to make a fire? One spark. Matter of fact, I just heard on Fox News this week, out, out, in the, the, out, out west somewhere, can't remember where it was, but it talked about how a, a guy on a tractor with the big mowing blades behind was mowing out on the side of the roads, and the mowing blade that was circling around hit a rock, and it sparked off that rock, and it was so dry that it caught on fire, and thousands and thousands of acres were burning on fire. And, and some homes were destroyed. I'm sorry to hear that. But it all started from a spark. A little spark off this tractor. And that huge fire started. You know all God wants to do in your life? And all it takes to get on fire for God is just have a little spark. Amen? Just get a spark. And a countercultural community or people that are tired of living the same old life, but they long for Jesus to set them on fire... Is there anybody here like that today that would love to be set on fire for God? Well, I think it's going to take a few things. Let me share these with you real quickly. Jot these down. Three things I want to share with you. I'm going to be a while if you guys need to take a seat back there. So uh, you guys standing. If you need a seat, you better get one. I'm going to be a minute. Let me give you three things. Three things about a countercultural community that I think we see in the book of Acts. Number one, there's a commitment to one another. We are committed to one another. A countercultural community is a community of believers that are committed to one another. I want you to look, if you will, in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 32. The Bible says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of his possessions was his own. But instead, they held everything in common. Notice the first part of that verse. It says they were of one heart and soul. 
In the New Living Translation, it reads like this. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And then it says in the latter part of that verse, they shared everything together. You see, to be a counter-cultural community of believers, we must be a bunch of believers that are committed, yes, to Christ, but also to each other. I mean, we're committed to each other. We need to be a church. We need to be a community of believers that are committed to one another. You see, we need to be those that, are, that will stand against, get this, the individualism of our culture. You see, our culture says, I don't need anybody. Our culture said, well, it's all about me. Our culture said, as long as I'm happy, everybody's happy. But we need to be a community of believers that stands against the individualism of our culture. A group of believers, as it says in this early church, after 3,000 were saved and 5,000 were saved and the church was growing, the Bible says they were committed to each other. They were of one heart. They were of one soul. They were of one mind. And they shared everything together. I mean, there's commitment. And for us to be countercultural in our church and for us to go against the grain, we must rise up and say, you know what? It's not about whether I come in here and enjoy the worship service. It's about whether somebody else comes in here and enjoys the worship service. That's what it talks about in the book of Galatians. That we would pray that God would bless so-and-so more than ourselves, esteem others of more value than ourselves. Be committed one to another. You see, I think in a countercultural community where believers are committed to one another, I think the relationship goes far deeper than the casual, hello, how are you, good, how are you, good. Don't you sometimes get tired of saying that? Don't you sometimes wish you had somebody you could really unpack life with? I mean, you, you know, you, you, you're carrying heartaches, you're carrying burdens, you're going through trials, you're hurting on the inside. But we come to church, we put on our little smile, and we walk in. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Give a little hug and go sit down. Don't you wish you had somebody you could say, you know what? Life isn't good. Can I talk to you? And you genuinely knew in your heart that that individual really cared about you. A countercultural community does. We go deeper in our relationships than the casual hellos. We go deeper in our relationship than just simply talking about the weather. We go deeper in our relationship than simply talking about the Cardinals. By the way, wish they'd win a couple games, hello? But we go deeper than that. I mean, we are genuinely concerned about the physical and the spiritual well-being of each other. A countercultural church is committed to each other. Second thing, I want you to jot this down. A countercultural church not only is committed to each other, but listen, they have crazy, crazy, crazy courage. Now, this is a two part sermon. I'm only going to give you three things today, and I'm going to be done, and I'm going to give you about four more next week. But they are committed to each other, but they have some crazy. I almost want to use the word. Stupid courage. I mean, we see it all through the book of Acts. And man, I have so much enjoyed gleaning through the book of Acts and seeing the courage of this New Testament church. Let me share some examples with you. But first of all, look, if you will, in verse number 33, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 33, and it says, And with great, what, power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. What were they doing? These apostles, they were standing around giving a testimony of what had happened. Jesus has rose from the grave. 
Now these are those same disciples, if you remember Peter, when they pulled Christ away and he's out in the courtyard and, and somebody identified him as a follower of Christ. He said, no, 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 not me. You remember Peter denied him how many times? Three. You know the story? He denied our Lord. But here something's happened to Peter. Peter's got power in his life now. Peter's going counterculture. Remember, in this day and age, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 33, the religious leaders who just crucified Jesus are there. The crowd who said, release the murderer, but crucify that man Jesus, they're still there. And Peter is boldly, and the other apostles, they're boldly preaching the resurrection of Jesus. Does that take some courage or what? You've got to think about the day they're living in. I mean, Jesus was just crucified. And you're going to that same crowd and you're preaching the resurrection of Jesus. That takes some courage, does it not? Boy, let's look at some more examples of this, how this countercultural community, how it not only develops commitment, but it leads to a lifestyle of crazy, crazy courage. Look, if you will, in Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter 2. Go there real quick. In Acts chapter 2, here we find Peter proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And look what he says in verse number 14. This is after the Holy Spirit descended upon them. And some of the religious leaders of the day said, Oh, these people are just drunk. Man, they're, they're wackos, they're drunks. And Peter boldly, with great courage, stands up and he preaches those people that had just crucified his Lord. And he says, But Peter stood up in verse 14. But Peter stood up with the eleven. And he raised his voice and he proclaimed to them, Jewish men and all residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. <laughs> hey, I like that introduction, don't you? I mean, he stood up, he raised his voice. Men of Jerusalem and all you, pay attention to what I'm about to say. And then he goes into the, this great dialogue and this great message in verse 15. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. And I won't read the rest of it there, but Peter goes on and preaches. That takes courage, does it not? For him to stand up and preach like that. And then in Acts chapter 3, we see where Peter, James, and John, they're walking into the temple called, into the temple, and they go by the gate called Beautiful. And you know the story there. There's a, there's a man. He's about 40 years old. He's, he's been laid there every day since he was born. He's crippled. He's begging for alms. And Peter walks by and he reaches out and says, Hey, you got a few dollars. You got some money. I need some money. And Peter and John say, What? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he takes him up by the hand and he starts walking. You see, that's somebody who is not settling for the status quo, that's expecting a miracle from God, hello, and takes great courage in that day. you got to remember what takes place right after that. Everybody's astounded. You know the story. Turn in Acts chapter 3. Look real quickly in verse 11. Acts chapter 3, everybody now is marveling. They're gathering around Peter in verse number 11. It says, while he was holding on to Peter and John, who's he? The one that had just been healed. The one now is walking. Matter of fact, this, this man that had been laid there as a cripple at the gate called Beautiful all of his life had now met Jesus and he's walking whole. And the Bible says that he's leaping and praising God for what God had done in his life. When's the last time you went around leaping and praising God and rejoicing and getting a little bit fanatical about what God has done in your life? Preacher, we're dignified today. We don't do that stuff. Why? Let me tell you what my Jesus did for me. 
First of all, he saved my old wretched sinful soul that was dying and going to hell. He saved me. You know what else he did? He planted my feet on the solid rock. You know what else he does? When I stumble and fall, he picks me up and dusts me off. Amen? You know what he does? He pours his love and grace and mercy on me. You know what he did for my wife? He healed her of cancer. You say, you think God really... Yeah, God really did that. Hello? You know what he did? When the doctors told us we couldn't have any children and was putting really a negative slant on the whole thing after my wife had cancer and after she had her radiation treatments and all of that, you know what God did? He gave us two beautiful children. Hey, I've got something to be rejoicing about. And you do too. But the problem is we settle for the status quo. We're afraid to get a little bit fanatical. Listen, it's okay, especially at Victory Church, it's okay to get a little bit fanatical. What would they think? Who cares? Peter didn't care what they thought. Amen, preacher. (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about, folks. I'm talking about a heart that beats for God and nothing else. It beats for Him. Look what it says in verse 11, Acts chapter 3. While He was holding to Peter and John, all the people get greatly, were greatly amazed. They ran toward them in what is called Solomon's colonnade in verse 12. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or godliness we made him walk? Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus, get this, whom you handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and you asked to have a murderer given to you, and you killed the source of life which God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name, get this, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through him has given this perfect health in front of all of you. Listen, let me ask you, does that take some courage? Amen? A group of believers that are countercultural to our age is a group of believers that are courageous. I mean, we have great courage. We see that in Acts chapter number 3 and Acts chapter number 4. The Bible says that, that, the, that the religious leaders came in and they arrested Peter for this. And John took them out and flogged them. In other words, beat them. And they commanded them that they would not go and preach in Jesus' name. Look what it says in verse number 19 of chapter 4. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Does that not take some courage? I mean, they're talking to the religious leaders of the day that just crucified their Lord, and they've been beaten, they've been commanded, don't you say any more about Jesus, don't you preach any more about Jesus, don't you do any more miraculous works about Jesus. He said, hey, you decide what's right or wrong, but as for me, I can't help but speak what I have seen and heard. That takes courage, does it not? That takes courage. And then in chapter number 5, they're flogged again and ordered not to speak. And we see in chapter 5, in verse number 40, in verse number 42, and after they called in the apostles and had them flogged, beaten, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. And then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, get this, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be dishonored on behalf of the name and everybody in the temple complex and various homes, they can, or every day in the temple complex and the various homes, they continued 
teaching and proclaiming the good news that the Messiah is Jesus. Boy, it takes courage. It takes courage. You see, for us to be a countercultural body of believers, for us to be a countercultural community, we've got to have commitment to each other. But we also must be courageous. I'm reminded of what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. You need to write this reference down. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fearfulness, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God doesn't want you living in fear. He's not given us that spirit of fearfulness, but of power. So a countercultural church, community of believers, not only committed to each other, not only has crazy courage, but thirdly, my last point, is rooted in a deep spirit of compassion. They're compassionate about each other. In verse number 34 and 35, it says, For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned the lands of the houses sold them and brought the proceeds of things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And this then was distributed to each person as everyone had need. They had compassion for each other. When they saw a brother or sister in need, man, they met that need. They just rose up and met it. They sold what they needed to sell. They got rid of what they needed to get rid of. They were more concerned, get this, they were more concerned about their community of believers. They were more committed to each other. They were not sold out to the ideology of individualism in their day. They realized it was their job to be their brother's keeper, to take care of each other. And when they saw someone in need, they met that need. Guys, you know what? That's what we need to start doing. And I know we do that to a degree. But man, it all just happened naturally in our church. And I'd love to see that just happen naturally. We're, we're so concerned about each other. We see someone struggling, man, we're going to go up and do whatever we can do to help meet that need for that brother. Why? Because we have compassion. Because we love each other. And guys, I want to challenge you. Let's, let's become, let's be, let's be a counter-cultural community of believers. Let's determine we're going to be a counter-cultural church. What will it take? It takes surrendering our heart. It takes surrendering our lives. It takes surrendering everything we have. I wonder why every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Will you be that individual? Will you be that one that surrenders everything to God? Tyler and Debbie are going to sing a song called I Surrender. While they're singing that song, if you'd like to come and pray and just kneel and pray and Wherever God may have touched your heart today, just give it to Him and deal with that. But if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, my prayer is today that you would ask Him into your life. Invite Jesus into your heart. Maybe you're here and you just need to simply rededicate your life. Maybe you're like that smoldering ember that I talked about. Maybe today you just want to make a decision. I want to be on fire for God. It all starts with the heart, guys. It starts with the heart. The heart is letting go. Letting go of the things of the world and holding on to God. And if you're here today and you need to rededicate, commit your life to Christ, I invite you to come. Just kneel at these altars. What we're calling an altar. Just kneel up here at the, at the front. And just do business with God today. Father, right now we commit this time to you. We ask you, Lord, that you would lead and guide through this time of invitation. Help us, Lord, to be a countercultural community of believers that is committed to each other, that has great courage that only comes from you, and God that has compassion, that loves one another. We commit this time to you. Ask your blessings on our time together. In Jesus' name we pray.
Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life, if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. That's victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can call, email, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109 in O'Fallon, Illinois. Or come check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us. 